thanks to Midriff's sponsor, Earthquaker Devices. Earthquaker Devices are continually identified as leaders in the music gear industry for their commitment to creating a better, more inclusive, diverse, and welcoming music culture. You've probably seen it yourself, right? They are intentional in this work, and they take the time to do it well, and you can see it in almost everything they do, right? From sponsoring podcasts like this one to their representation in social media and artists they endorse, right? And there's probably other things that you're, we're not even seeing, right, that are behind the scenes. And then there's their truly unique, creative, inspiring pedals. Did I mention they make pedals? They're made in by hand in Akron, Ohio by like a whole pile of really, really awesome folks. Their pedals are useful and easy to use tools for like any instrument as a guitar, bass, synth, drums, whatever. And they make pretty much every type of pedal under the sun. Whether you want an octave pedal, you want a distortion pedal, you want a fuzz, you want some modulation, they've got it for you, including a few super affordable pedals that you can grab for under $100, right? Amazing. If you hear folks sing their praises, there is a reason why. And I personally played Earthquaker pedals for over 10 years, and I'm proud to have them as sponsors on this podcast and to have been able to work with them as well. And you can learn more about Earthquaker Devices at EarthquakerDevices.com. Hello and welcome to Midriff, the podcast about gender, music, and music gear. I'm your host, Hillary Jones. So I apologize for the delay in the podcast release this week as, you know, we've been dealing with uh, death in the family here and we've been sort of deep in the process of dealing with grief, with hospitals, arrangements, all of that, as you might imagine. And I appreciate your patience if you've been wondering why the podcast has been slightly MIA as of late. Obviously, you know, this is all a process of getting through it as much as possible and getting back to it. So... The good news is that I am always excited to talk about the topic at hand today. And, you know, I've been researching and training on the topic of sexual harassment for nearly 20 years. And even though it's not the only topic I cover related to workplace culture now, I've been working with a number of companies on this topic specifically recently. And also a recent related court case inspired me to sort of dig into hostile environment sexual harassment specifically today, uh, perhaps a little more in depth than I have in the past. So let's get into it. So in the hostile environment sexual harassment case, the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals ruled that playing music that contains sexually derogatory and violent content in the workplace can generate a hostile environment, violating Title VII. And if you work in a music-related or music-oriented business, or you know, even you know, if you don't, most businesses uh, <laughs> or employees play music at least some of the times, this might be of interest to you. So let's start out here. What is hostile environment sexual harassment? Yeah, it's exactly what it sounds like. It's sexual harassment that happens to the extent that it creates an environment that is so hostile that a person cannot effectively do their job. That's what it is. And this is in contrast to the, I guess I would say, quote unquote, other, perhaps more clearly defined sexual harassment in the U.S. law, which is called quid pro quo sexual harassment. Quid pro quo means this for that in Latin. And it is essentially a sexual exchange. It's like when a boss says, if you have sex with me, I'll give you a promotion. Or if you don't, 
don't, I'll fire you. And, you know, perhaps they wouldn't say it quite so bluntly, but you get the idea, right? It's sort of like the Harvey Weinstein sexual harassment. Uh, and when you see it, you think like you point at it and you're like, I see that that is sexual harassment in your mind. It's pretty clear. Hostile environment sexual harassment suffers definitionally from a lack of clarity. It can, in essence, be sort of like in the air. And this makes it hard for people to know what it looks like in practice and when it's happening to them or like when they're doing it to someone else or when they witness it. So let's take a moment to clarify it a bit and talk about how this shows up in music spaces a little bit as well. First, hostile environment sexual harassment lives under the broader category of workplace harassment, which includes all harassment based on legally protected characteristics, which in the U.S. includes get ready, race, color, religion, sex, including pregnancy and sexual orientation or gender identity, national origin, age, 40 or older, and disability and genetic information, including family medical history. That means that when we're talking about sexual harassment, we are specifically referencing sex, sexuality, pregnancy, sexual orientation, gender identity, okay? That means that anything that uh, makes someone comfortable or feel degraded based on those things, you know, could be their gender, being pregnant, being gay, being trans or non-binary, all of those could be considered sexual harassment. And that includes, you know, anything that focuses on stereotypes about their gender or things related to sexuality broadly, right? So. I will say as a quick content warning, I will obviously and have been starting to talk about sexual harassment, but also assault might come up in this episode as well. So what behaviors does this include? So hostile environment sexual harassment includes a pretty broad range of behaviors and experiences, and it can be anything from like looks that someone receives to jokes overheard in another room. The case mentioned here specifically describes a situation at a workplace where employees are playing sexually degrading and violent music in the space of a workplace. In this case, it can make other employees feel uncomfortable based on their gender, gender identity, sex, or even a perceived sexual threat in this case uh, sent through the message of the lyrics. And, you know, this might seem heavy handed, um, you know, if you, you listen to Cannibal Corpse in your workplace, which I, you know, I worked in a record store in college where we would not infrequently play it to scare away customers <laughs> because I that's what we did. It might not feel like a big deal, but think about it. it. You know, if you have your identity or an identity that causes you to feel constantly under the threat of violence, you're going to potentially be a bit more sensitive to someone singing about, you know, the fact that they think that you are only important because of your body or singing about actually doing harm to you, even if it's just implied. And, you know, there is a book by an author named Timothy Benenke called Men on Rape. And I think about this, you know, in relationship to, you know, his writing on this. And he discusses the ways that, you know, the threat of rape, quote, alters the meaning and feeling of night, that it alters uh, the meaning and feeling of nature, that cis women, trans and non-binary individuals need more money because that threat makes it harder for them to earn money, that it can make people feel more dependent on cis men, that it can make solitude less possible, that it can inhibit their individual expressiveness and that it can inhibit the freedom of the eye or just the ability to even look around, unquote, right? So 
that's a big threat. And, you know, someone doesn't actually have to experience sexual assault for that threat to be there. But, you know, you can imagine that if someone has that hostile environment, you know, it can even have a harsher impact, making it even more difficult for someone to effectively do their job because they're being reminded of that threat. And I think it's pretty easy to see how that works, right? You know, it could be just about gender. It could be about a variety, any of those protected identities, right, that I talked about. We're talking, obviously, specifically here about sexual harassment, but obviously race, other protected classes, any of those are, you know, all all at risk for this the situation of um, hostile environment. The behaviors that make up hostile environment are pretty wide ranging, and there's language that says that hostile environment harassment must be, quote unquote, pervasive and severe. And, you know, what this generally is, you know, means is that it might include one particularly severe incident or a buildup of what might be viewed as, quote unquote, more minor incidents, right? Like, obviously, that's, you know, who's to define that? But it can be found in cases that one you know offensive remark alone can be deemed sexual harassment so i would say the interpretation as i'd said can be pretty broad and it also is depends on the state that you live in as far as what cases have come forward so with that uh, here are a range of behaviors that could be included outside of things that are more easily defined as harassment such as touching assault indecent exposure things like that so gestures noises, um, <laughs> jokes, obviously, stereotypes, name calling, staring or leering, asking probing questions about someone's sex life, oversharing about your own sex life to somebody else, rumors, staring, misgendering. Um, a lot of people don't realize that if you're misgendering someone that can be considered sexual harassment. Uh, making sexual innuendos, discussions about body or appearance. And I would say that there's also, you know, this conversation about like, what's a compliment? Can I say anything anymore? Like that kind of thing. And it's really, you know, if it's something talking specifically about a part of someone's body, that is obviously a flag. Like if you're like, you look good in the, those pants, like your butt looks good in those pants. Like obviously that probably is a problem targeting the particular part of somebody's body. But also I would just say like in general, be careful with the, those types of comments that it's related to your relationship to the person or if that person is going to feel like the focus is really on their appearance rather than their ability to do their work. So keep that in mind. Um, so posting or sharing sexual or gender stereotypical images, sexual texts, upskirting, all of that. So it could be something that is virtual, um, you know, or electronic. Uh, could be during work, could be after work. So you can actually create a hostile environment in your workplace after work. If someone is feeling like it's going like that environment and what's happening there is making them unable to do their work during even if it's not during work hours, right? So when I've worked with companies to create policies around, for example, like dress in the industry, people oftentimes say like people can wear whatever they want, you know, but if you ask them whether someone could wear like a cannibal corp shirt, I don't know why it keeps coming back to cannibal corp shirt, for example, then they start to rethink it. Right. So it's like there's policies that I think can address some of this stuff on the front end. But it's really is sort of about like, you know, creating expectations about what can happen in the environment of the workplace and that can help to prevent it. All right, so who does this include? Hostile environment, sexual harassment can be committed by anyone of any gender against anyone of any gender.
It's also important to note that anyone who's overheard someone engaging in sexual harassing behavior, even if they aren't a target, can report it. So if you are made uncomfortable by it, that is enough. It can also be committed by someone who is a supervisor or someone who is a direct report, and it can be committed by an employee or a customer as well. So you are, you know, your workplace is responsible for making sure that you're not being harassed by customers, which I think some people don't realize. All right, so where can this happen? Um, as I'd said before, of course, like traditional offices, brick and mortar workplaces can be a site for harassment, uh, sexual, uh, hostile environment, sexual harassment, but it can happen virtually or electronically, any of those things as well, Slack, social media, all of those things like, you know, outside of work, um, whether virtually or physically by time or I guess uh, <laughs> electronics. So when can this happen? As I mentioned, anytime, even after hours. What does this look like in music spaces? Let's bring it back. So in music spaces, this could look like, as I'd said before, we talked about t-shirts a little bit, posters, other merch, any of that that has some sort of like sexually derogatory images or language. Um, it could potentially include imagery on music gear products, such as offensive pedals, uh, guitars, synths, um, either by image or by name, jokes or memes shared um, by a gear company, their band, or a, a venue's social media. Those could contribute to a hostile sexual um, environment. It is likely that sharing, you know, one song or like one like crappy like metal flyer or whatever with a woman's head cut off or one, you know, offensive pedal names alone might not be enough to be considered hostile environment sexual harassment. But it is possible that, you know, if all of those th three things are happening at once, you know, you that could make for a serious case. I'm not a lawyer. So, you know, it is also possible that one of those could, depending on the situation and the state that you're located in. So how can you prevent this? As I mentioned before, being really clear about your policies is important here and, you know, making sure that they are shared with your employees and enforced by managers. And I would say with regard to music, if someone is listening to potentially offensive music, you might have an anonymous reporting system that goes to a manager if it's like distracting in a harmful way. And honestly, that might be a good idea, even if someone is just playing music that you really can't stand because that can be distracting, too. You could state that employees can listen to whatever they want as long as it's on headphones. Be clear about what's appropriate for clothing as well. For behavior, ensure that your employees are trained up on sexual harassment, they know what it looks like, and you can encourage a zero tolerance policy and train everyone on bystander intervention so they know how to stop it if they see it happening, right? And you know that doesn't mean that everyone needs to walk on tiptoes all the time, but it does mean that clarity is important and hopefully will help prevent that. As with always, trust building is super key here. And, you know, if direct communication isn't part of your training with your staff, I'd recommend it. It's really best to set up a situation where folks can call each other in on things as they happen. It's so much better to address any training needs and culture needs on the front end than having to deal with it once harm has already happened to individuals, to the culture, to the brand, right? You don't want to have to deal with that after the fact. It's always harder. So what do you do if it happens to you? So if this happens to you, you can report it to your manager or HR, and there should be reporting policies within your employee handbook. And if you don't feel ready to report immediately, documentation is your friend. That means documenting each time an incident occurs, so what happened, where, 
when, and who is there to witness it. This can help build a case when you are ready to report showing how like quote unquote pervasive the harassment is. And if you're in a small company and your boss is either the person perpetrating the harassment or you don't feel comfortable reporting it to them, you can report it to the EEOC, the Equal Employment Opportunities Commission in the US and most states have supports at local agencies and nonprofits as well. Also keep in mind that retaliation against sexual harassment is totally illegal. Most companies in the industry want to create a positive, supportive environment, but lax policies and, you know, music and let's be real, like the broader culture can seep into the workplace in a way that's detrimental to employees, customers, culture and the company as a whole. So getting in front of it, though, it, that can be a huge help to keep everyone feeling psyched about, comfortable and supported in the environment. And really, that's what everyone wants. Right. OK. So thanks so much for listening. And if you have any ideas about the podcast, questions about harassment or workplace culture or anything else, as always, please feel free to reach out. I'd love to hear from you.